Thank you for staying. Would you turn, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 23. Exodus, chapter 23, and verse 15. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread... Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month Abib. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. Notice verse 17. Three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Now, further in this book, please, chapter 34. <clears throat> chapter 34. Verse 20, but the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou redeem him not, then shalt thou break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem, and none shall, and here's this word again, none shall appear before me empty. Look at verse 23, thrice in the year shall all thy men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before thee, and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land, when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. Now, our next to the last reading in Psalm 42. <clears throat> Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, one more reading, please, in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 6. And verse 6. <clears throat> Micah 6 and... Verse 6, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy? and to walk humbly with thy God. I'm going to ask you to think with me for just a few minutes about appearing before God, appearing before God. The when, when shall I appear before God? How, none shall appear before me empty, and wherewith, or with what? And we'll notice that it is a matter of the heart and the character. Now, there's something very practical uh, in my mind. Um, you would never give the keys to your car to um, your son or daughter who had never practiced, who had never had driver training, who had never been behind of a wheel and say, here, try it out. I'm sure you've seen me drive a lot. You must understand how to drive a car. Um, I don't want to offend anybody here, but there might be some who have um, uh, 
tools that you use when you go hunting. Uh, you would never give one of those tools to your child and say, now you've seen me uh, use this tool, I'm sure you know how to use it. Uh, any more than you would give him a chainsaw and say, well, now you've never used a chainsaw before, but you've watched me a lot, so I'm sure you pick it up. So it is very strange to me that we imagine somehow that a young believer can be received into the assembly and by some mysterious osmosis, he or she will pick up what our meetings ought to be like and if they participate, how they ought to participate rather than some guidelines being given. Now, maybe that doesn't happen here. Maybe the elders have a chat with someone and, and, and go over things. But I just thought if we could just look at some practical lessons about appearing before God, because that is what we did this morning, and it is, in fact, what we're doing right now. My soul thirsteth for, thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, Israel had set seasons where they would appear before God. The Hebrew word that is used, I think it is pronounced moed, it is appointed seasons. Israel had an appointment with God on these occasions. He was the host. He was calling them to appear before him. They were, they were celebrations of his own joy in the great events that those feasts of Jehovah, for instance, were pointing to. And so what happened is God took over their day planners, their calendars, their, their cell phones. He said, mark this. This is when you will appear before me. They were set seasons. Now, there was something sacred about them as well. And um, they're called holy convocations, and no servile work was to be done. People were summoned often by trumpets to leave their own things and be gathered in holy convocations in the presence of the Lord. So as happily as we meet together and as um, amicably as believers may get along with one another in an assembly, we should never forget that we're actually meeting with the Lord, that we're in his presence. There's something sacred about it. But another word that God used about these occasions is the Hebrew word chag, which has the idea of a festival, um, a festival of rejoicing. They, these were to be satisfying occasions where the Lord's people would leave having been blessed for being together. Have you ever wondered why it is called the Lord's Supper? Supper? It is intended to do for our spirits what a supper does for our body. It is to nourish us as we are in the presence of God. So these were collective gatherings. They were different from the daily experience that a true Israelite would have of having the Lord with him or her individually. Now, we also have a when. When shall I appear before God? We have a, a when to appear before God. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you will find that five times the apostle uses the words come together. You come together. He says, first of all, I'm not praising you that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For when you come together in the church, I hear there are divisions among you. He says, when you come together into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper by the way that they were abusing it. He says, wherefore, my brethren, when you become together, tarry one for another. And he adds, uh, if any man hunger, let him eat at home that you come not together unto condemnation. So five times in chapter 11, and then two times, if you're interested in uh, the mystical number seven, there you are, two times in chapter 14, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place. And then in verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue. So there are times when we come together. That is different from our enjoying the Lord individually in our lives. There was an older brother in the assembly in Pensauken who had an expression that he would often use, and that was that his, that is Christ's, his presence 
forbids my absence. His presence forbids my absence. So I come together with the assembly because I don't, not only am I a part of the assembly, but I have a meeting with the Lord. Now, how? Because God repeats this expression frequently, none shall appear before me empty. In other words, the privilege should entail preparation. If you're going up to appear before the Lord, you don't just uh, drop your hammer, whip off your apron, and run on up to meet the Lord. You're bringing something. And so the privilege of appearing before him calls for preparation. None shall appear before me empty. Now, I think you'll get the idea behind this word empty when I give you just a few ways in which it is used in the Old Testament. This is the word that's used to describe how Laban wanted to send Jacob away. Jacob had labored for him. What Laban intended was to take everything that Jacob had and send him away empty. When Israel left Egypt, God saw to it that they did not leave empty. And the description is that they spoiled the Egyptians. They spoiled the Egyptians. And if you wanted to know where former slaves ended up with all of the wealth that was poured into the tabernacle, it is because they spoiled the Egyptians. They did not go away empty. When a Hebrew servant was to be let go free, God reminded the master to be gracious to that servant, not send them away empty. And the opposite is you will not send them away empty. You will furnish him liberally, furnish liberally. It is the word that is used by Naomi when she says, I come back empty. I come back empty. And interestingly enough, it's the very word to describing that uh, uh, Boaz did not send Ruth home empty when he filled a, her, her, her bags and, and containers with the barley. And Naomi would look at it and say, where have you, where have you labored? Because instead of coming back with just a handful empty, she had come back full. So think with me for a few minutes about the Lord's Supper. Um, just want to make some very practical suggestions for younger believers here to think over. The best preparation for participation is meditation. Got that? The best preparation for participation is meditation. You cannot blow into a meeting on Sunday morning, suddenly have something to say to the Lord when you haven't been thinking about him. I would suggest to you that a very beneficial thing would be to just lay aside some time on a Saturday night or if you're an early riser on the Sunday morning and just read what the scriptures say about him. Think about the Lord Jesus. This will put a reservoir of thoughts in your heart from which the Spirit of God can bring out things that will lift the saints. And I am not saying merely brothers. When a, when a sister's heart, when she, where she's been thinking about Christ, that lends a quality, a character to the meeting, an aroma, like Mary's wordless worship when she poured her ointment on the Lord Jesus. So if you were to, for instance, I, I suppose you all have books that you read, and you're, you're, maybe you're in page 212 on, on a book that you're reading through the week. Now, on Saturday night, have a different book. Here's some you could have. You're not going to get any better, for instance, than J.G. Bellett's The Son of God or The Moral Glories of the Lord Jesus. Hewitt's book, Our Glorious Lord. A.M. Hodgkin's book, Christ in All the Scriptures. Get hold of the Messianic Psalms by the, uh, Mr. T. Ernest Wilson and any of Jim Flanagan's books that are just, just jammed with devotional thoughts about the Lord Jesus. Read those chapters that deal with the, the closing hours of the Savior's life. What that is going to do is it will put your mind 
See, it'll put your mind into a, a pattern of thought about the Lord Jesus. And then when you come on a Sunday morning and a brother gives out a hymn, it's going to coincide with something you thought of. Or somebody gets up to say something in worship and it clicks with you. Because instead of sitting there thinking, well, I hope I have something I could say to the Lord. What can I say? And maybe I'll give out a hymn instead because I really don't know what to say. Instead, there will be in your heart a reservoir of thoughts that the Spirit of God will draw from and use to lead the saints into the presence of God. So the best preparation for participation is meditation. And by the way, we're losing that art. I'm not going to accuse you. I have to stop myself sometimes because I do read the scriptures on my uh, computer and keep track, see, reading through the scriptures, what, what, what chapter. You know what I find? I find I read much faster and, and more sloppily when I'm reading on a screen. Maybe you're not like that, so I'm not accusing you. All I'm saying is I notice the difference between having a book in my hand and reading the Bible and reading it on a screen because I'm skimming. I, I, I taught myself to skim. I'm constantly skimming articles and news items and things for preaching and looking and, and, and eliciting this, copying and pasting, and I have to stop myself and not do that with the Word of God because it's just a habit that I've developed. It's a rut that my mind falls into, and I don't want it to be that way with the Word of God. So the best preparation for participation is give your mind to thinking about the Lord Jesus. The chief goal of the gathering is the glorifying of the Son of God. Got that? The chief goal of the gathering is the glorifying of the Lord Jesus. Look at the descriptions we have. We remember him, this do in remembrance of me. That's his person and his worth. Three times that phrase occurs. Once in Luke, twice in 1 Corinthians, remembrance of me, remembrance of me. So we're remembering him. The other description is we proclaim his death. So it's not only his, his, his worth, his person, but his passion and the work he accomplished. Now here's a quotation that I jotted down. So it's not original, but if you take notes, Jot this down, because sometime in the future, you'll look back at this and you'll say, I never got very much from that guy, but when he quoted somebody else, that was really good. So here we go. The sole purpose of the Lord's Supper is to provide an opportunity for the Lord's people to concentrate their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to the exclusion of all else. Got that? The sole purpose of the Lord's Supper is to provide an opportunity for the Lord's people to concentrate their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to the exclusion of all else. Now, some time ago, um, I put together just a little line of thought uh, about how to ruin a breaking of bread. And if you're interested, uh, how to ruin a prayer meeting and how to ruin a gospel meeting, but let's just talk about the breaking of bread, how to ruin a breaking of bread. Because some people are determined to do it, so I just thought maybe it'd be good to get it all out in the open. Here is how you can ruin a breaking of bread. Give an inappropriate message. See, if our purpose is to concentrate our minds and hearts on the Lord Jesus, then you can ruin the breaking of bread by giving an inappropriate message. Here are the biblical reasons for our gathering. We are gathering to break bread, we are gathering to remember the Lord Jesus. We're gathering to participate in or observe the Lord's Supper. We are gathering to proclaim his death until he come. So ministry that corrects the lives of the believers, 
or that tells the believers how I have witnessed to somebody and who I met this week and, and I told them about the Lord Jesus or ministry that doesn't lead to worship or ministry that points to anyone or anything other than the person we are endeavoring to remember seems to me to be the opposite of a word and season. And there are times, there are times, I don't mean here, but there are times where I've sat in a meeting and the words that have come into my mind are that, you know, they've taken away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him because we were, we were being taken away, far away from the purpose for our gathering. Give an inappropriate message and you can ruin a, a, a breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. Choose an inappropriate hymn and you can ruin the breaking of bread. And in, in some meetings, I have sung, Christians go and tell of Jesus at the breaking of bread. I suppose it was given out because of the one line, the pure and holy, meek and lowly Jesus, or the line that he died to save the lost. But there is something called common sense that comes into play. Now, I don't know how you understand the Lord's leading, but it seems to me that the Bible, the New Testament, uses it more about our life and character, which then should also be functioning in our assembly, rather than a flutter in my heart that tells me, yes, that's the hymn, give it out. Would you, for instance, give out at the beginning of a meeting, would you give out once more before we part, bless the Redeemer's name? No, you say, that, 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 that would be ridiculous. Well, it's just as ridiculous, if I could use the word that you would use. If I get up and ask you to sing Even Me, Even Me, uh, and uh, had you thinking about yourself and about me and about us, because it's wonderful to be saved. It's wonderful to express to God our thanks for salvation. But we're there to remember the Lord. So the hymns that we give out, you know, I, we've all heard about the, the, the bride who came in to the, the hymn, Sunken Ruin, Sin and Misery. It was an inappropriate thing for which a bride would come in on. I, I just read recently about a bride who wanted to sing to her husband. Now there's um, at least a few here that are going to be getting married soon. But this bride wanted to sing to her husband as she came down the aisle, and, uh, and she chose the hymn, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Just, just not, not good in that setting. So there are some wonderful hymns in the Believer's Hymn Book, but they don't fit a breaking of bread. Brother Paul Vizzini, uh, in, in contrast to what I said about we don't often help people, in contrast, he made a list of hymns suitable for the, the Lord's Supper, and he gave the list to a young believer who was being received. And by the way, you don't need a list because the back of your book will show you hymns, right? That They're organized for you, so you can look right there. If you've got a hymn that isn't in that, the likelihood is you're stretching the point. Well, he gave this list to a young believer. Now, I don't know how well uh, or how many of you uh, know Charlotte Braithwaite, but uh, in her younger days, she was sharp as a tack. And um, this young brother who had this list, he got up, and he gave out a hymn that had nothing to do with the breaking of bread. And Charlotte leaned forward and said to Paul, uh, I bet that one wasn't on your list. <laughs> I bet that one wasn't on your list. So give out an inappropriate hymn and you'll redirect the meeting. Worship in an inappropriate way. Tell the Lord and the saints about yourself and your needs. Do so lengthily so that the minds of the saints can wander in the very meeting where their minds should be the most focused. You'll be able to get their minds off of the topic. You can, you can ruin it if that's your goal. Turn your worship into a long sermon. Tell the Lord things from his word that the, that the Lord might not yet know. 
and, and sermonize, so you're informing him. That will successfully draw our attention away from the Lord Jesus. Now, since our young believers here, let me just make one more statement. Thomas Newberry said that we should come to the breaking of bread in a prepared state of unpreparedness. There is a wealth of wisdom in that statement. We should come to the breaking of bread in a prepared state of unpreparedness. Do you know, do you know what he meant? Get in the presence of God. Read his word. Prepare for the breaking of bread. Discern your own self that you have no place there except for God's grace. And that will help you discern his body when you come together. So you come with some thoughts in your mind. So allow me to apply it to myself because I've often made a mistake along these lines. So suppose, suppose I came and my thoughts were about the, the cross and the deep sufferings of the Lord Jesus. Very suitable line of thought, of course, for a breaking of bread. But suppose the first hymn, which is a very suitable hymn, at times, in a breaking of bread, suppose the first hymn was something like, Hark, 10,000 voices crying, Lamb of God. And, we, and, and the meeting started off with thoughts of his deity and his glory. And I'm thinking about the cross and his suffering. Sit back and let the meeting go, see? Hold it. It's not like the manna. It's not going to breed worms and stink if you just hold on to it. And wait and see how the meeting goes. And, and when it comes... When it comes to the point where, where that's what we're thinking of, then your worship is going to fit in, see? It's, it's going to meld with what others are thinking and others are saying because as you're moving through a meeting, you're coming, you're coming to the highlight of the meeting. When you're coming to the point where you're ready to break bread, don't, don't give out the hymn, praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed redeemer, sing ye saints as wonderful love proclaim. You're, you're thinking now of the cross. You're about to break bread. You're about to be, to be, uh, grasping again the fact that he, he was given for you. So the choice of a hymn, the way you worship, a word that might be given, all of that with spiritual intelligence can add to the assembly. That is how we should come, not empty, but with something in our heart to express to the Lord Jesus. Finally, I want you to think about wherewith, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God. Do you notice the terms used for what we did this morning? It's simplicity is expressed in the term, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. It's simplicity. It's sanctity and dignity is expressed in the term, the Lord's Supper. By the way, please notice it's not the Father's Supper. Were at the Father's Supper, every one of his children would have a right there. But it's not the Father's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. And everyone who is received to observe the Lord's Supper should be someone who has bowed to his lordship. Wouldn't that include baptism? Wouldn't that include a desire to obey his word? So it's the Lord's Supper. Now, with what should I appear? When you look at that passage in Micah 6, you're going to see what God requires. And you will notice that the, the emphasis, the emphasis is on the matter of the heart and character. So the answer is given, not, not, not with a bullet, not with the, not, not sacrificing my child, will the fruit of my body, will that do anything for my, the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? So this is what God requires. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now that is why 
believers today worship in what the Bible describes as the beauty of holiness. We cannot come to the Lord's Supper with unwashed hands, and I'm speaking metaphorically there. It is a matter of our character, of getting, making sure we're right with God, meeting with his people, and then what he requires is that I come as a believer who realizes, who has discerned what I really am, a nothing apart from the grace of God, and come with gratitude in my heart to the person who gave everything for me. What does God receive? If that's what he requires. What does God receive when a company of believers come together desiring to give honor to his name? Well, there are those two interesting expressions. I suppose that the, the quote in the New Testament is the spirit of God's interpretation of the statement in the Old Testament. So in the book of um, Hosea, he talks about us rendering to God the calves of our lips. The calves of our lips. So instead of a calf being placed on an altar, the words that you use in his presence, that's the sacrifice. You search for words? They don't have to be flowery. They don't have to be large. They don't have to be impressive. But you search for a way of telling God about his son. You come to the New Testament, and the phrase is the fruit of our lips. So now you're thinking about the basket of first fruits, and instead, what comes from your heart, through your mouth, into the ear of God, gives honor to God as he receives that sacrifice. Now, if you think I am stretching a point, let me close by just quoting for you Psalm 69. The psalmist said in Psalm 69, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hooves. Better. I'm no farmer, so I cannot give you a financial figure of what it would cost an Israelite to present a bullock to God. But I don't think you're talking about something you pick up at a 5 and 10 store. A bullock. When you sat in the presence of the Lord Jesus this morning, and whether silently or you stood on your feet and said it publicly, you told God what you thought about his son, that meant more to God than an ox or bullock that has horns and hooves. Worship is a wonderful privilege. God help us to embrace the privilege because we'll be doing it forever. God help us to embrace the privilege now of when and how and with what to appear in the presence.